So, Lynn, thank you so much for taking the time to join me for this discussion today. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Richard, and thank you so much for the invitation to be here today. It's a real pleasure. Oh, fantastic. I know our listeners really like to hear from guests, so it's not just the Richard show. Uh, So it's always (laughs) nice when we have new voices. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners because uh, our guests always do a, a, a much better job of that than I could. So, Lynn, tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Richard. Um, so my name is Dr. Lynn Lanka. I am a lecturer in organizational behavior at Cranfield University in Cranfield. Um, I'm a psychologist by background, so my undergraduate and my master's were both in psychology, but my PhD is in management. Um, but basically that just means that I apply, apply psychology to the world of work. Um, I've worked in mental health and um, higher education for a number of years, um, and my research primarily focuses around topics related to psychology. Fantastic. So um, again, it's great to have another psychologist on, but at the same time, we want to make sure that whoever is listening out there and wherever they're listening, um, that we make this as accessible and as clear for them as possible. So we had an initial discussion um, a few weeks ago about this um, and you made a great suggestion. So what is it that you would really like to share with our listeners today? Well, you know, I think in in the current context uh, in the world that we are occupying at the moment, um, there there's so much negativity and so many things to look around and say, wow, this is really challenging. How am I going to cope with all of these um, challenges? And I think as a psychologist, for me, it's really important to try to find the positive things or the positive aspects. Um, and so I've been very interested um, in the past, uh, well, basically since the uh, beginning of the pandemic, about the concept of flourishing. Um, specifically, I I was noticing that in in spite of all of the negative things that were happening, there were still people that seemed to be having positive experiences um, during the pandemic. They seemed to be really flourishing in, um, you know, perhaps the work from home context, for example. Um, And this made me very interested in learning more about what is it that enables people to be able to continue to experience positive well-being and positive, um, you know, states, even when faced with very challenging um, experiences. So I became... um, even more interested in the concept of flourishing, even though it's something that I've been, um, you know, aware of and teaching um, as a psychologist for a very long time. But it's something that I think theoretically just became much more relevant in the current context to me. Super relevant. Uh, and I know we've we've talked about both the impact of the pandemic context, but also how we navigate those challenges quite a bit on the podcast. But to my mind, I think we've never used the word flourishing. So what what is your um, simple definition of the concept? Yeah, so in very simple terms, flourishing is the ability to be able to be free of illness, be free of distress, be filled with uh, vitality, just being able to function well, both in your personal life. So that means in your relationships, your friendships, your romantic relationships, but also in your social life. So having, um, you know, having this ability to be able to have a sense of being filled with 
um, with good positive emotions, a balance of, of, of good and uh, positive and negative emotions, and being able to function in your day-to-day life and cope with the challenges that come along. Um, so really flourishing is about um, living your best life and having a good balance in your life. That that's really interesting because I, I think it's very easy to fall into misunderstandings about these concepts that flourishing is everything is perfect and nothing is going wrong. Mm-hmm. When in fact you just said there's positive and you know maybe less welcome emotions there. So it's not being um, full of the joys of spring every day, is it? Absolutely, yes. You're you're totally right, Richard. That is something that I think we need to really, you know, understand is this concept of the dialectics of emotion. So the dialectics of emotion is this idea that we need both positive and negative emotional states, and there needs to be a balance between them. Um, And we shouldn't always try to strive for completely positive emotions, and we shouldn't be um, scared of experiencing negative emotions. So flourishing is really about being able to appreciate the balance between the two with the idea being that, of course, there would be on average more positive emotional experiences or emotional states on average than negative emotional states. And of course, we, you know, to put it really simply, we, we wouldn't know what happiness was unless we'd experience sadness, right? Absolutely. That's absolutely correct. And this, this maybe um, societal drive to positivity isn't the same as what you're talking about, because this is about being realistic, isn't it? Yes, it is. And so flourishing, although the idea or the concept of flourishing is about having positive emotions or having, on average, more positive emotions than negative emotions, it's also having that balance. You need to be able to appreciate both of them. That's really interesting to me. Um, One of the uh, large themes, one of the, the important concepts we've looked at a lot on this podcast and people will be, listeners will be familiar with this is the, the notion of psychological flexibility and what we do with that internal stuff when we don't like it. So it sounds like there's an overlap there that we're not getting um, drawn away from what's meaningful and important just because we're feeling an unwelcome emotion. There's something in here about how we deal with them as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So flourishing is really about, um, you know, being able to maintain your meaning and purpose, even, um, you know, even in the absence of always having positive emotions. So obviously, when you're in a state of flourishing, or you consider yourself to be flourishing, you're going to have those positive emotions, but um, you're also going to have engagement in, in life you're going to have engagement in what interests you. You're going to have meaning and purpose, but it's within balance of uh, these other things as well. And it sounds, and apologies, I'm hammering you with questions one after another, but it sounds like um, there's something about um, both the subjective experience and and within context, so as you said, you can you can flourish in the middle of a pandemic, but also my flourishing could be different to yours. That's an excellent point. Yes, and I think that that's one thing that is always so relevant to always circle back to when we're talking about um, you know concepts related to psychology is that it really is you know individual differences are very subjective, and flourishing means different things for different people. Now, of course, there are key features of what flourishing tends to be understood as or 
you know, key elements of what we would say, if these things are present, then flourishing is present. But the degree to which um, one individual versus the other experiences those, and perhaps the combination of those things may differ between person and per- to person to person. So if, if we use me as, as an example, I might um, start my week feeling positive about my life in general and might be really engaged in the work that I'm doing. But something happens on Monday evening um, that puts a really sour uh, mood on things. And yet I come into work on Tuesday and I really get stuck into things, even though there's something bothering me or I'm feeling a little less happy about life in general. I I could still uh, be said to be flourishing at that point. Absolutely, yes. That's true because flourishing isn't just about these state-like emotions. So, you know, our, our emotions might fluctuate across the day, across the week. Um, it's about having, in addition to those positive emotions that we've already spoken about and things like engagement and meaning, it's also about the combination of these things in addition to our self-esteem. Our, our optimism. So even if I'm not feeling so confident about, you know, my work performance this week, I still have that optimism that I can do better in the future. It's also about resilience. So how do we bounce back from negative experiences or how do we bounce back from setbacks? So people who flourish tend to have high levels of resilience. They're able to cope with those negative things. And that, I think, ties back into that balance of emotions that we spoke about earlier. Even though they might experience negative uh, things or they might experience negative emotional states that are transient, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to let those experiences define them. And we also know that there's, you know, self-determination as well um, related to why people flourish. They have that sense of control over their trajectory. So I, I feel that I have some level of agency in my ability to control the things around me and make a difference if something isn't going well. That sounds really relevant to our shared experience in a pandemic situation when the pandemic is absolutely out of our control, but how we lead our lives within the restrictions remains within our control. What we decide to do and not do each day remains within our control. That sounds really important. It is, yeah. And I think, you know, the, the especially this concept, concept of self-determinism um, is probably one of the, the features that enables people to feel that, you know, I have control over what's going on, even if there are things out of my control or there are things I'm not able to influence, I can still have control over how I feel and what I'm doing. And the doing bit strikes me as being really important. So no no matter where my emotions are on a given day and, you know, they fluctuate, I mean, mine fluctuate within the hour, never mind the day, but no matter where they are, what really counts is what I do and how I direct my energy and my attention at any given moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And so in that sense, you know, I think it we can see how self-determination really ties into some of the other core features of flourishing, like resilience and optimism and having meaning and purpose. So even if I'm, you know, faced with challenges and setbacks, I still feel that 
you know, I, there's optimism for the future or, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to lower my self-esteem. This negative event doesn't define me as an individual. Instead, I can, you know, bounce back from that or I can overcome that challenge because I have resilience. I have optimism. those things require us to be thoughtful and to reflect, but also to maybe step back and see the bigger picture a little bit. That's really, that's very true. Um, I think that that's one thing we need to understand about flourishing. It doesn't happen accidentally. Um, It's something that we have to be mindful of and take action towards. So it's something that we have to work on, basically. Um, So the individual who first kind of popularized the concept of flourishing is an American psychologist, Martin Segelman. And he argued that actually we need to work on, um, you know, five key elements to be able to flourish. So he argued that flourishing is really about putting time and effort, both time and effort physically, but also time and effort emotionally, cognitively into maintaining positive emotions. So we are being mindful of, okay, I'm experiencing a negative emotional state. I recognize that. So now I'm going to do something to try to put myself into a more positive emotional state now. It's also about engagement. I'm going to do something to engage myself, whether that's engaging with other people, engaging with experiences, engaging with a good book, for example, or a good podcast like yours. Um, (laughs) It also means, you know, maintaining and putting effort into having meaningful interpersonal relationships, um, as well as finding meaning in our life and working towards accomplishments. So if I want to develop my capacity to flourish, those sound like some really good starting points. Absolutely. Yes. So those five components um, make up what is known as the PERMA model. So PERMA stands for each letter of those five categories that I just gave you. P for positive emotion, E for engagement, R for relationships, M for meaning, and A for accomplishments. So if we focus on that PERMA model and maintaining those five features, then those are probably going to be able to help us to meet our our needs and be able to flourish. And to echo an early, earlier point, we could use the PERMA model, it sounds like, um, in our own context and make it work for us. So, you know, an accomplishment for you might be working towards getting a paper published and an accomplishment for someone else might be, I just need to you know, get out of bed today and make my way to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's one thing about the PERMA model. It has so much, uh, it has broad application. We could apply it to our personal lives. We could apply it to the work context. So how we manage um, our direct reports, for example, we could use PERMA to help people flourish in the workplace. Um, And it's flexible enough that, you know, we really get to define what our definition of positive are, right? We get to define what our meaning is. We get to define individually what healthy, positive relationships are for us and how much of all of those things feel right to us. And something we've talked about on the podcast before 
um, is the the downside uh, or the potential downside of a focus on binary states. You know, the example I keep coming back to is success. Uh, am I successful or am I unsuccessful? Mm-hmm. And if I am successful, then I need to pedal faster to maintain my success. And if I'm not successful, I'm going to feel all the bad stuff that comes with that. It sounds like flourishing is a much more dynamic experience rather than an on-off. Yeah, you know, I think when it comes to a lot of the positive psychology concepts, um, flourishing is really about understanding what it means to the individual experiencing it. Um, So it's, you know, like well-being, for example. Um, You know, what does it mean to experience well-being? Well, well-being has a very subjective component to it, the individual's definition of their, their global happiness with their, you know, their life. And to that regard, flourishing as well has that, that subjective element. So what does it mean to the individual? My flourishing is going to look different from your flourishing. And there isn't a standard definition, you know, there isn't a, um, a flourishing bar where you can put yourself and say, okay, I'm (laughs) flourishing at 25%, you're flourishing at 75%. It's really about you know, am I living, am I living my best life? Am I living the life that feels right to me and good to me? That, that sounds really nice to me. It might sound frustrating to a lot of our psychology colleagues who love to measure and love to have mm-hmm. scores for things, but it does allow people to experiencing, uh, to experience flourishing in their own contexts and with their own givens into account. I'm thinking of people who are maybe living with uh, challenging elements in their life. They can flourish despite those challenges. They might be things like financial challenges or family challenges. Could it be that you could flourish while you were living with, say, a, a chronic illness? You know, in, in theory, absolutely. Absolutely. Flourishing isn't necessarily specific. To, it, it isn't dictated necessarily by the context in which we're in. Um, so, of course, there are certain features of flourishing that we would say need to be present for it to be considered, you know, are, is, is a person flourishing? And those are those um, elements that I mentioned earlier, positive emotions, engagement, meaning, etc. Um, but we can still have those things, even in challenging contexts. Um, you know, resilience is one of the features of, of flourishing, for example. And we know that, um, you know, there are lots of wonderful examples of people who have gone on and been been incredibly successful and have had high levels of resilience, even though they've had very challenging um, early life circumstances. So it really is about, are you, are those, those key features and elements of flourishing, uh, are those present even in the absence of perhaps always positive uh, contexts or always positive experiences. So what I'm trying to say is the context doesn't necessarily, the context in which you're in doesn't necessarily define your ability to flourish or not. And that's something that really um, I think is helpful to reiterate for people. You know, you are not as good as the last bit of feedback you got. You were not defined by that challenge you faced in your relationship. Um, you were not your overflowing email inbox, you know, whereas we can kind of get hooked on these things and view uh, how good our life is going in terms of these standout negative experiences. But taking a step back, we could see them as a blip. And it sounds like the 
general direction of travel is much more important than an evaluation of any single day. Yeah, I think that that's really what we have to have to keep in mind is that flourishing isn't about we look at our our the day and say was it a good day or a bad day and use that as the barometer to measure flourishing. It really is about um, you know more of a long term um, week to week, month to month um, evaluation. Um, and I think you know that's something that we really need to be mindful of about the concept of flourishing is that it is something that we need to put, you know, time and cognitive effort into maintaining. Um, And if we're, if we're constantly looking at the moment to moment, am I happy or not happy? That might perhaps lead us to um, maybe not, not keep the big picture in mind. And that leads me to my next challenging question for you, which is if we're going to put this effort in and we're going to apply the PERMA model in our lives, and and that is work and that is a focus and it demands us to be um, attentive and not operate in automatic pilot, is there a risk that we wonder, well, where are the results? I'm putting in the effort. Nothing's happening as a result. I'm thinking it's the same as going to the gym and not losing weight. And after a while, you stop going to the gym. Is there a risk that you don't get any payback for applying this and you think, well, what's the point? Wow. Yeah. You know, I think that that's that's a really great question. So can we put this time and effort in and not feel that it's, it's really worth it? And you know, there might be some individuals who perhaps say, I'm, I want, I have this goal in mind, I want to flourish, and I want to perhaps apply the PERMA model to be able to, to experience flourishing. Um, and maybe they might feel that it's too much work, or what is this really going to get me at the end of the day? Um, but, you know, my experience um, has been, especially working in um, mental health, is that when we when we do put in the effort to um, engage in having positive emotion, uh, positive emotional states, we engage in meaning trying to build meaningful relationships. We work on building accomplishments and meaning. These tend to have positive outcomes. They tend to be able to. People most often tend to feel that there is some value from working on these things, um, and I think you know. If you're working on um, applying these positive elements, the PERMA model, for example, and you don't feel that there is any positive benefit, then it's definitely worth reflecting on and saying, what am I doing? Um, Am I doing this right? Is this working for me? Am I perhaps not focusing on the the elements that are actually meaningful to me? Do I need to make a change to how how I'm applying this? I, I think, I mean, it was intentionally challenging because that's a lot of the time in a coaching context um, where where someone might challenge me with, well, I tried that once and it didn't work. Mm. Um, so this is a longer term thing, but also as you've as alluded to that if we, if we put PERMA into practice in our own context, the um, the positivity that arises from that will encourage us to keep going. Yeah. Um, it's not a one and done. It's not a task list. I've done PERMA. That's me sorted. Uh-huh. It's, it's ongoing focus um, it is. on these things. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think that that's one thing that is, um, it can be challenging, especially if you are currently experiencing any kind of mental health challenges at the moment. Um, for example, um, depression, it can be very challenging to say, okay, I've got this PERMA model, let me try to apply it and see if it has a positive benefit. And, you know, it may, it may be taxing to the individual to think I have to keep doing this every day to get some positive, you know, benefits from it. So there might be certain contexts in which it may be perhaps, maybe it's not the right goal at the right time to say, I'm going to work on flourishing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would definitely say, you know, it is, it is a personal choice. Are you in the right place at the right time to, to take this as your focus? And if it does feel challenging to you to put that, that cognitive and emotional effort in at the time, perhaps there are other goals to work on besides, um, focusing on flourishing. And the way you describe the PERMA model it implies there are so many different ways we could experience it and put it into practice that if one way isn't working for you, there's countless other ways you could explore it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great point. You know, for example, if we look at accomplishments as one of the, as the A in the PERMA model, what does accomplishment, accomplishment mean to you? You know, for me, I just got my chartered psychologist status and that felt... Congratulations. Yes, And that is you. an accomplishment. <laughs> so... Um, you know, that was that was something that I, I identified as an accomplishment that I wanted. But, you know, there have been times in my life where an accomplishment meant just learning how to tie my shoes, you know, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be that big thing. It doesn't have to be this huge challenge. Uh, it can be something really simple. And it can be something that is maybe just going to improve your life individually. I'd like to explore the the positive emotional states in in just a little bit more detail because there's a there's a trap we can fall into which is a sort of a false positivity or even a toxic positivity mm. where we're denying that or we're denying someone else's negative emotional states but that's a that's a different story but you know I should feel better about this or I, I I'm not entitled to feel sad about this it sounds like what you're talking about is noticing those states and deciding to do something that will hopefully um, result in feeling better about things in general, rather than I must remove this negative experience. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm totally with you on that concept of we have to have an understanding of emotion. Um, as I mentioned earlier, this concept of the dialectics of emotion. So there needs to be both positive and negative. It's uh, perhaps a continuum of emotion. We need to be aware of the fact that negative emotions have a place in our, our life, in our experience. They're going to arise and we need to be able to recognize them. And I think that's maybe one of the challenges that we often have. We don't always perhaps aren't always aware of what those emotions might be. Sometimes it's difficult for us to name that, mm. that emotion. Um, but assuming that we are able to recognize that emotion, it's really important that if that is in a negative emotional state and we say to ourselves, right, I'm feeling very anxious right now and that anxiety is uncomfortable to me, I'm going to do something to reduce that. I'm going to use a coping mechanism, for example, to reduce my anxiety and 
return myself to a more positive emotional state. Um, and so in order to flourish, we do need to have more positive emotions on average, but we need to also be able to recognize when we do have those negative emotions and how can we cope with that and be able to return ourselves to that positive emotional state. So coming back to the point about resilience, the coping that we put into practice really needs to be something that's healthy and sustainable rather than I'm going to cope with this by heading to the fridge because I don't like to feel anxious when in fact that's not going to help us flourish at all really is it it's not and i think you know in the current context of the of the pandemic i have seen a i guess antidotally an increase in the um number of people who are falling back on maladaptive coping mechanisms to try to cope with the negative emotional states that are arising from living through a world changing historical event. Um, And so these, you know, these maladaptive coping mechanisms might be things like trying to find comfort in alcohol or food or um, overusing the internet, for example. And so, you know, having resilience is being able to, or being resilient is being able to identify healthy um, coping skills and these, you know, positive um, and, and helpful coping mechanisms. Um, and that's one thing that we need to remember about um, coping mechanisms. They need to actually be able to reduce that negative emotional state that we're in, not make it just disappear for a little while, but it needs to be something that actually benefits us physically and psychologically. And that's why maladaptive or negative coping skills are harmful because you know, for example, spending all of our time on the internet and, and, you know, doom scrolling through social media, um, is that, is that beneficial to our emotional state? Is, is that beneficial to our physical body? So any coping skill that is harmful to the body or to the mind isn't actually, even if it makes that negative emotion go away for a little while, it's not really actually helping us in the long run. I'll put a link in the show notes to our previous episode all about coping when we we talked about this very thing and that that notion of is what I'm doing sustainable? It might be doable right now, but could I take a step back and wonder the impact that this will have over the longer term? And and that notion of maladaptive uh, coping responses is really helpful because it might give us relief, but that's not always useful. Mm-hmm. for us. And again, that's shying away from uh, discomfort rather than uh, asking, why am I feeling this in the first place? Rather yeah. than trying to shut it down. It might be giving us a message. You yeah. know, there's something in there that we could learn from it. I try and describe emotions to my clients as it's a blinking light on the dashboard. It's not a, a, a detailed checklist of instructions for what you do next. It's telling you something, but you decide what you want to do as a result of noticing it. Absolutely. I I completely agree with you that, you know, those negative emotions, um, being able to recognize them and say, I am experiencing this and then saying that means something. Um, How am I going to be able to now take action to reduce that and come back to a positive state is a much, it's, it's a much healthier response than just saying, I don't like the way I'm feeling. Let me just try to make it disappear Um, without, you know, really addressing the underlying core um, you know, catalyst for that negative experience or negative emotion, rather. It's been so um, interesting to explore this concept with you. And I know um, we will 
almost certainly have some questions and some feedback from our listeners. With with the listeners in mind, what do you think you would like ringing in their ears as they finish listening to this episode? What's the number one message you would like to share with them? Um, the number one message that I would love to share with people is that, you know, flourishing is something that we are all capable of. It's in our um, our ability. Um, we can use the PERMA model to help promote flourishing. And it is really something that I think we know quite a bit about the fact that people who flourish tend to be able to cope better when stressors come along. Um, so we don't know what the future is going to hold for us. And so, you know, focusing on flourishing or working to, on flourishing might be one of the ways that we can buffer ourselves against an uncertain future. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, it's been great to chat with you on this. Um, I have lots of follow-up questions and I'm sure we, we can address them another time. But for now, Lynn, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Richard. It's been a real pleasure. In this episode of My Pocket Psych, to get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at WorkLifePsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.